That was very beautiful, and I thank you for the joy uh, that emanated out of your faces as you sang. And um, yeah, lifting up the joy of the Savior. How are you this evening? Balcony peeps. Yeah, a little rough crowd here at Avondale College, but I've uh, grown to expect it and uh, now come used to it. And at this time, I'd like to create an awkward silence. All right, a couple quick updates on my day. Uh, First of all, thank my brothers uh, for dancing. I had this vision uh, when we came into this week of prayer and, and festival of faith, uh, I shouldn't have I just said the taboo phrase, week of prayer, uh, this festival of faith, I've just had this vision over the last few months that this would just be erupting in a celebratory response. And um, I guess you just don't roll that way here and, and God will forgive and we will move on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just in my mind's eye, I don't know if you, you follow me on this, but I just get these thoughts and visions and dreams and aspirations that I believe are God-inspired. And thus, uh, we ended up with a theme, beautiful people, ended up with a beautiful video uh, that was beyond my, my vision or dream, hope, or imagine of how that turned out. And, uh, uh, and then just was hoping that people would be into it. But you're not. Um, and it's cool, I'll go home and uh, sulk, but I will tell you, at least in my heart, every time I hear that song, I will rejoice, I will dance, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, but anyway, um, a, little, uh, a couple updates here. Um, my parents, I just found this out, I was able to Skype with my wife last night, which was a beautiful thing when you are this far away. Uh, from your family and loved ones. So I was able to see my daughter for a little bit before she went down for her nap, even though the guest wireless is a little bit on the slow side. Um, But I was able to see her momentarily and then it went away. Um, And then I was able to talk to my wife for quite a while, which I always enjoy doing. And uh, just grateful for the technology and the ability to communicate. And I just found out that my parents are actually flying. They bought a one-way ticket, so they will be coming with my wife and daughter to California on Monday. I thought my wife was going to be joining me at the airport on Sunday because I fly in at 11 a.m. She was scheduled to fly in at 1.30. They've now bumped the ticket back to one day. They get in at 9 o'clock in San Francisco, but my parents have bought a one-way ticket. And um, this is kind of exciting for me, and I'll tell you why, because... I truly believe that what's happening at the Elm Saven Seventh-day Adventist Church and what God is inviting us into is to experience the full measure of God and to experience the kingdom of God on this planet. And so my parents who have now, since I went through the AAA method of atheist agnostic to Adventist, uh, they have seen what God did in and through my life. And, and so their faith has been rekindled and they are that much more involved and committed in their Catholic church and their local parish, which is actually quite large in St. Augustine. This is what makes me sick and repulsive uh, 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 just, just, um, and angry when we, when we declare that a person, if they're a Catholic or if there's somebody else other than a Seventh-day Adventist is going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, we should just call them all Mark, whether they're male or female, short for Mark O. the Beast. Um, we, really, we really owe it to ourselves 
Uh, first of all, if you're not willing to go sit and talk and reason with another brother and sister, you can slander all you want. But at some point in time, you've got to come to the place where you recognize that maybe you don't have it all cracked, you know, everything you thought. Uh, maybe you don't have it all together. And, and I would think that if Jesus is abiding in your life, you would emanate Im, love, would, would just emanate out of you. That people, when you come in contact with others, would, would sense a, a strong presence of peace and love and acceptance and joy and not wrath and condemnation. And I don't know where we get off just going around uh, uh, sharing harsh words about particular denominations. Um, even though you may have your own theological biases or presuppositions uh, or even convictions, I still would challenge you, are you able to talk and reason? Are you able to uh, sit at the table with your fellow brothers and sisters? My parents, I delight in the fact that they're more involved in their church today than they were when I was growing up. Um, and I delight in the fact that my mom uh, started this ministry in St. Augustine called Pedal Pushers, where all she does is push pedals. Um, that just came to me. It was really witty and super funny in my head, but not funny here. Uh, she's like a pedal dealer. Uh, what she does is, is goes around to local florists, uh, asks them for their, for their uh, uh, old flowers. They're not old. They still look great. But she collects, goes around to local floors, collects these flowers, and then brings them back to her parish, puts them in vases and decorates them and puts them in like formation or what do you call this? Arrangements. Thank you very much. Um, in the States, we call them a flower arrangement. So thank you very much for that clarification. And then she goes around to homeless, or sorry, not homeless, but um, she goes around to nursing homes and brings in the flowers to these people and has made friends with these individuals. Every Friday she does this and has done this for years. And so I just thank God for my mom. I thank God that uh, he is living in her and you can see fruit of the spirit abiding in her. And I also thank God that they have a one-way ticket to come join us in Elmshaven. Makes me a little uncomfortable to be honest with you because they have no other place to stay but then with us. And uh, the day they arrive is the day we're actually, I mean, I'll be staying in the house Sunday night, but Monday the truck arrives and we unpack and then I go to the airport to pick them up. And so it's just kind of a new chapter with my folks included, amen and hallelujah. But, um, uh, but I'm serious, I do rejoice because my parents and their, my dad's in his 70s, he's 76 now. And I've noticed that he's been very depressed lately and very isolated in spite of the fact that he has friends. Um, old people can sometimes just feel like they have no sense of purpose. And I believe that when he gets out to Elmshaven, uh, he's going to find a community of believers because he fits in our demographic at church, which is about the average age of 75. Um, so he will become the poster child for our church <laughs> and like our role model. Um, and what we strive for. But anyway, I'm just excited and uh, nervous all at the same time. I solicit your prayers. And, um, and you guys, uh, secondly, a couple uh, more things. Secondly, um, uh, our, our sister Carly, um, uh, I, d I don't know that I have liberty to give you the full update, but um, just to let you know, because we were going to go see her, uh, that did not happen, but I understand that she is in a very good place resting and resting well, and is actually, at the last I heard, has requested that 
Uh, she's just so exhausted that she would rather not have visitors, so she solicit your prayers very much. The last thing I wanted to share today is that as I was walking on the campus, um, I saw two sisters at the picnic table praying, and it just absolutely made my day. Um, the presence of God is on this campus, and it's palpable, and I'm very grateful for that. And, um, and I'm, just, I'm just thankful when we have the opportunity to come to a center or a campus like this that is centered around the life of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And, and by God's grace, He's doing great and marvelous things. And for that, we are deeply grateful and we celebrate. At this time, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. We have a lot of verses to go through because even though we ended in verse 11 of chapter 3 of Philippians, where if you're just tuning in tonight, I see some new faces in this place. Uh, but if you're just tuning in tonight, for the first time, we've been walking through uh, expositorily, verse by verse, through the book of Philippians, and miracle beyond miracles, we are picking up uh, in Philippians, well, we lift, left off today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11. Tonight, by God's grace, we will complete chapter 3. Tomorrow, go into chapter 4 in the morning, finish chapter 4 in the evening, and uh, you'll see probably one of the verses that you have memorized, which is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But to get a running start tonight, we're going to actually go back into chapter, into chapter 3, starting in verse 7 to get a running start because verse 12 starts with, not that I have already obtained this, and we, are, we want to know what the this is that, that Paul is referring to. So without further ado, I invite you to bow your heads with me. We'll have a word of prayer and, uh, and then dive into the Word of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we simply thank you and are deeply grateful for this opportunity to gather in your name. I understand tonight the shops are open longer and a lot of people go shopping. So we're just simply grateful for the saints that have gathered and we simply do not take this time for granted. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you to unravel your good and perfect will. We ask you, God, to make us uncomfortable, to take us out of our comfort zones. We ask you to bend us, break us, shape us, mold us, do whatever it takes, God, that, that we would hear you and see you, taste you, experience you, know that you are real. For the, for the unbeliever tonight, I just simply pray uh, that you would warm the heart, soften the heart, that you, Jesus, would be lifted up, that the unbeliever would hear and see and know and put their faith, hope, and trust in you. So as we read this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, I pray that you would be glorified, honored. I pray once again that you would be lifted up and in so doing, draw every person under the sound of my voice, including myself, unto yourself. In your name I pray, amen. So picking up in verse 7 again, we went over these verses today, so I'm not going to uh, uh, spend a lot of time on verses 7 through 11. We will spend more time going through verses 12 through 21. Uh, but verse 7, if you have your Bibles there, Paul says this, whatever I gain, but whatever, I, whatever gain I had, sorry, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is just after he has gone through spelling out all the accolades that he has acquired, all the diplomas up on his wall, everything that he has done in his life, which was quite hefty and quite weighty in the area and the realm of, of the Pharisaical belief system. This dude was a head honcho. He was quite awarded uh, as, as being a top dog in the, in the Pharisee uh, uh, way of life and mindset and religion. And he's saying here that in verse 8, he counts them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And again, church, we can sit here and battle this and debate this and discuss this, but all too often people trumpet the law and not Jesus. Uh, Jesus came in and he brought in this new covenant. And, and Jesus points out that you and I have an inability to keep the law. What do I mean by this? Jesus goes to one of the two or two of the Ten Commandments that you and I think you, we don't struggle with. What are they? Murder and adultery. What does Jesus say? You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother without a just cause has committed murder in the eyes of God. Then he continues on and says, you don't think you're an adulterer? I tell you the truth that anybody who's lusted after a person has committed adultery in the eyes of God. And who amongst us has never committed lust or never succumbed to lust? Who among us have never had anger issues? And so what Paul is getting at is, is, is that our righteousness uh, is not of my own that comes from the law. Verse 9 again there. Um, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And again, verse 9, if you missed it today, that is justification. Verse 9 spells out very clearly justification. Where you recognize you don't have a, a righteousness of your own. Uh, but when you put faith in Christ Jesus, you receive his righteousness. He is the one that covers you. It's his faithfulness. It's his goodness. It's his obedience to the Father, not your own. But watch this now, because some of you uh, uh, will walk away and say to, to people, uh, Matthew is putting down the law. Absolutely not. David in the Old Testament says, I delight in the law. Paul in the New Testament says, I delight in the law. And guess what? If the law is a burden to you, like Sabbath becomes a burden, Jesus invites you to come and rest... And that becomes a burden to you and you hate the Sabbath, I would simply submit to you that that is evidence that the character of God is not abiding in you. And why do I say this? Because for me, it's a simple, simple equation. And I'm not a big fan of equations, especially when it comes to the, our spiritual lives. But hear this now. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus, by faith, we believe he pinned the Ten Commandments. If Jesus penned the Ten Commandments, and then when he came to this planet, he kept the law perfectly and demonstrated perfect love and perfect obedience, when he died and rose again and said, the mystery is, is that I'm going to come up in you and live in you, would it then not make sense that if he penned the Ten Commandments, if he kept the law, that him abiding in you would lead you to be a law, a law keeper? Does this make sense? Did you follow that at all? 
Repeat. All right, real quick. Um, the reason why, okay, in the Old Testament, David says, I delight in the law. In the New Testament, actually, Paul says in the book of Romans, I delight in the law. Well, what is he talking about? I personally believe that, that Jesus, that God himself, penned the Ten Commandments with his finger. There's really not a Christian alive that if you were to say to them, with, you know, thou shall not murder. If you were to say to them, because some Christians will say, well, the, the, the law has been nailed to the cross. That the Ten Commandments have been nailed to the cross. Um, and, and I agree that we are in this new covenant that Jesus uh, uh, has freed us out of the burden or weight of sin, and the law actually condemns us to death. Ultimately, the law condemns us to death. But let me not get sidetracked here. God pins the Ten Commandments with his finger. Jesus comes and he keeps the Ten Commandments. Some have said, and I think it could be true, that the Ten Commandments are actually revelatory of the character of God. You want to know how God rolls? This is how he rolls. Uh, but anyway, and th these are things that are important to him. So when Jesus comes and he embodies it and lives it and keeps it perfectly, he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, rises again, says he's going to send the helper, the comforter. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's going to abide in us. And I would simply submit if all of these things are accurate, that if Jesus is abiding in us and he is working out his good and perfect will in and through our lives, it would be a natural derivative that we would start to delight in the law. As David said in the Old Testament, as Paul says in the New. If this makes any level of sense. So, I, 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 and, and maybe if it doesn't, just write me and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. Um, that he delights in it. But is, is Paul saying here that he can keep the law and that righteousness is going to come because of his dependence or because of his faithfulness to the law? Absolutely not. Again, he says, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes through the law. The, the, let, me, let me say it this way. This is what sucks about people that trumpet the law and try to tell people that we as the Seventh-day Adventist church are law keepers or, or we keep the Ten Commandments. Really? I mean, do you really? Have you not coveted lately? I see my homeboy playing the drums with a full head of dreadlocks and I covet. <laughs> a coveting is happening to me on a regular basis in my life. I don't have victory over the law, but I will say that I desire to have victory in that area and I believe that God gives me that desire. And unfortunately, what happens in Christendom and what happens in religion is that oftentimes teachers and preachers will come along and they will trumpet the law and they will say, this is the way you have to live. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to obey the law. If you want to go to heaven, thou shall not have swimmeth on the Sabbath. And then they conjure up all these rules, all these regulations that are not gospel truth, and they make them the standard of salvation. And we're going to see this in just a minute. That is not God's will for your life. What God's will is, is that you surrender all, that he comes in you. Again, he is working out his good and perfect will in inside you. And I'm just simply say, stating tonight, maybe this will be clearer, that if God put the Ten Commandments on the planet and they truly are important to him, which I believe they are, that him abiding in you, he will eventually lead you to delight in the law. 
that's it. Conversely, what we do is, is we often put the, the, the cart before the horse. And we teach people, obey, obey, obey. Do this, don't do that. And then people fall into the mindset, well, if, I, if my behavior is correct, then I'm good to go. Meanwhile, my life is falling apart. Meanwhile, I've got all types of issues. I've got all types of sin and addiction. I'm not getting any victory over it, but I am wearing my suit and tie. I've destroyed all my music, but I've still got my porn addiction. And so we're missing the point because we're giving people a false gospel. We're painting a picture that is unobtainable. We're painting this situation to some people. And you guys, I'm speaking in generic terms here. But the fact is, is that a lot of people leave the church because they hear a gospel preached or hear a message preached. And they hear a standard lifted up that they cannot obtain. And so they get discouraged. And after a while, they're looking around and they're just like, my hell, my life is falling apart. I'm experiencing hell on earth. I have a lot of issues. I'm looking around the church. Everybody comes in here talking about happy Sabbath, putting a fake smile on their face. And my Sabbath ain't so happy. What do you do? You have a crisis of faith. What do you do when you look around the church and your brothers and sisters that you've been coming to church with week after week after week don't know the intimate issues of your heart? What do I do when I go into a church? I saw this the other day. I was at the largest black church in New Jersey. Uh, People, this was the greatest uh, compliment I think anybody has ever given me. Uh, Some people in the back of the church were trying to figure out um, what kind of nationality, what kind of uh, a black man I was. That just, I mean, it just made my day. Uh, but going up into the church that Sabbath day, no one knew who I was when I arrived there. This woman was just whooping the daylights out of her son because her son was ADD like me, flying off the deep end, clearly filled with Beelzebub. And so she is like smacking the dude down, whooping him angry, just filled with righteous indignation, smacking him down. I walked in right behind them. As they walked into the church, it was as though something like a switch just went off completely night and day as though they weren't through a turnstile. And as she walked into the church, her countenance totally changed. A big smile came on her face and they were the perfect family Robinson arriving at church. What are we teaching? What are we demonstrating to people? We're showing them as though their behavior has to be right up in here. It is a false gospel. To say that this facility is the sanctuary is a false doctrine. And we lead people to to have all these misconceptions of who God is. God is with you always. You come up into church and you behave a certain way. And then when you leave, you behave completely differently. Something is fundamentally wrong. I mean, think about it. We talk about a divine hour, which is unbiblical. And you come up in here and behave a certain way for one hour out of the week. And then the rest of the week, you just conveniently tuck little baby Jesus in your back pocket and just go your own way and do your merry thing. Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? As though God delights in your performance that you come in here, if you just play the part right, as though to liken it to the skit, if you just wear the right Superman costume, 
God is going to be pleased with you. It's a false gospel. I don't know if any of this is making sense because you're looking at me like. <laughs> Preach on, brother. <laughs> so anyway, what Paul is talking about is justification in verse 9. And we haven't even gotten to verse. Come on, y'all. Verse 9, what Paul is talking about is justification, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that is justification. Verse 10 is sanctification, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. What this means, church, is, is you start to taste him, you start to experience him, you start to see transformation from the inside out, oh my soul cries out. It it starts coming from the inside out. And what happens is, is you can't boast in your flesh. You can't take ownership of it yourself. You have to give praise and honor and glory to God for the goodness that he is doing in and through your life. And that is the miracle. That is the power of the resurrection. And until you start experiencing it, I would simply submit to you, your religion and your religiosity and your Christianity is in vain. And something is fundamentally wrong. I don't care how good you look. I don't care how good you sing. I don't care how much coin you drop in that basket. If you are not experiencing the power of the resurrection, a a resurrected Christ in your life, something is fundamentally wrong. Verse 11, and this is glorification that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is us being glorified. Jesus comes again. We are glorified. We go from being justified. How are we justified? We put our faith, hope, trust, and love into Jesus. How are we sanctified? We start to understand Jesus and know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. How are we glorified? When he comes again, we are taken. This broken body has gone away. We get a new body. And we are glorified with the, resurrect, uh, uh, with the, the living Christ and are in community with him for eternity. That is what we claim by faith as followers of Jesus. That is the gospel of Jesus. Let's now continue into verse 12 where Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. Okay. Paul is clearly saying, I'm not already perfect. Look at it. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But what does he do? He presses on to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Powerful statement right there. So in other words, it's not your mama's religion. It's not your papa's religion. It ain't your pastor's religion. What does Paul say here? Not that I've already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. I've got issues. You know what somebody told me since I've been here this week is that there were people at at big camp and when I preached on Romans 7 and said that Paul was talking about his post-conversion experience with Jesus when he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to God for Christ my Lord is what he says. And some people, it's been told to me, came back after big camp and taught the following Sabbath that Matthew Gamble is wrong. (laughs) And I just, once again, I just don't get it. Like, why can't we just reason together on this? 
What don't you get here that Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained it? What don't you get that he's saying, or am I already perfect? I've got issues. The things I want to do, I don't always do. The things I want to stop doing, I keep on doing. I've got issues. What is the gospel? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. It's all about his righteousness. It's all about his faithfulness. It's all about what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do. As I said to you earlier this week, your biggest problem is yourself. Quit blaming the church. The biggest problem is yourself. And you, you refuse to get out of the way. When Jesus said, if you have a mustard seed size of faith, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. I've tried this before. I used to live in Seattle, Mount Rainier, 14,000 foot mountain, move. In the name of the Lord Jesus, be gone. It never happened. What is the mountain that God is talking about? The mountain is you. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, this mountain will move. If you tell it to move, it will move. If you allow it to move with this faith of the mustard seed, it will move. But if you're too stubborn, if you're too stuck in your own thoughts or your own theology or your own tradition, it will never move. Paul comes along and says, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, the reality, church, is, is Christ has already done it. The question is, is how do you respond? That's simply the question. He's already done it. He's already paid it. He's already lived it. The debt's paid. Do you accept it? Christ has already made me his own, Paul says, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and watch this, and I just pray that this would be a blessing to you tonight. I pray that when you hear these words that are already up on your screen, that you would recognize that if you masturbated this week, if you cheated this week on your test, if you lied in your interview this week, that all of that thing can be behind you. That that sin that gets you depressed and overwhelmed, all of that stuff can be behind you. If you do what Paul does, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Where is your focus? And again, Satan, I believe, would have you focus on your past. All hung up about your past. I talked to one sister tonight that told me she went and chatted with her parents and that it was a very bold thing that she had to do, but she was hung up on her past. But then when she talked to her folks and, and confessed some things that had happened, it delivered her so that she could pu push on to the future. All too often in our human nature, we are choked out, snuffed out, and run down because of our past. And we're carrying around all this baggage. Jesus comes to you and simply says to you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And unfortunately, we refuse to receive it. We say things like, it's too good to be true. Too good to be true. And so what we do in our humanity is conjure up all the list of rules and regulations. I would love to meet the freak that came up with, thou shall not swimmeth on the Sabbath. I really would. Non-biblical. 
There's a great book you may enjoy reading. It's called Pagan Christianity. I would highly encourage you to check it out because you will be dumbfounded. The stage, is, the stage that I am standing on right now, this altar comes from a pagan, pagan history that I'm standing, I just feel like I might get struck down. <laughs> pagan. And this is, what, this is what crazy people will do in the church. They will say that the drum is coming into the church and that's how devil, the devil is entering in while they're wearing their suit and tie, their pagan phallic symbol. It has nothing to do with Jesus. They'd say you would never go see the president of the United States or your prime minister who I, over and every time I'm over here, without fail, I hear very clearly that you are not pleased with her at the present time. But that's another story for another time. So people will say you would never go to the prime minister dressed like that. You ought to never go into the house of God dressed like that. Are you kidding me? Jesus was a homeless man. Jesus was homeless for three and a half years. And you're telling me there's a dress code? I talked to a brother this, this week who told me I went to the GYC or CYS or whatever it's called when it came here to Sydney. What's it called? AYC. AYC. And again, church, for those of you who did not hear me clearly, I encourage you to go to the GYC and the AYS and the BCD fee. <laughs> go, go, just have discernment. Because is there beautiful things being presented there at the GYC? Absolutely. David Ashrick, let me clarify, David Ashrick, the poster child for the GYC and the AYS, or C-A-Y-C, Homie, he and I in February sat in a hotel room for five hours. And it was one of the most redeeming, restorative conversations I've ever had in my life. Do you all know who David Ashrick is or am I even speaking to you? If you meet David, who I understand has been on this campus recently, his boy Matt Parra is now part of this conference. If you meet with David and talk to him and actually reason with that guy, in my heart of hearts, I absolutely love David. Now, I've been listening to David for a lot of years. And in his early years of preaching, I was very scared. Please note, David has never gone to the seminary. He's never been theologically trained. And I'm not saying you need theological training by any stretch. You'll know them by their fruits. And has David had some great fruit? Absolutely. But I think if you talk to David, you would recognize that this guy back about 10 years ago, maybe even less, used to preach a gospel that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in my humble opinion. And I told him this to his face. We were able to reason together and discuss together. And last I heard, when he came here, he preached grace. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what happens in our life? What happens is, is if we preach law and legalism and behavioralism and dress codes and this, that, and the other, what ends up happening is, is we will have a crisis of faith. Because we will come to the place where we recognize we don't have it all cracked up and, and we start sinning and we have issues. And because we're behaving, we think we're going to behave well and God will bless us and we'll have victory over sin. And then we recognize at some point our behavioralism is not saving us. Jesus saves us. And so lately, the more I've heard David preach, all he's preaching is, is the grace and the power of Jesus Christ that is available. And I will simply say this, David, in my humble opinion, is one of the most intelligent, brilliant human beings I have ever met in my life. He's one of the most incredible communicators I have ever heard. So I don't, I don't want you leaving here thinking I'm down on the AY, AYC. 
That's how that would work. GYC, Australian Youth Congress, or Youth for Christ, or whatever. That's, I see what happened there. All right. I'm not putting that stuff down. I just would encourage you to go with a discerning ear because there are speakers. I listen to this stuff. Don't think just because I'm not there in person that I'm not streaming sermons that are being live on the internet. Don't think that I'm just standing up here some fool trying to tear something down. I'm telling you to just have caution. When I get up here and preach, have caution. But get into the word of God and get to know it. Uh, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. That is so powerful, church. And I just pray tonight for some person that if you're strung out, if you're being choked out and hung up about your past, that tonight may be a definitive night in your life. That you make the decision tonight, right now, you know what, I'm tired of being hung up, suppressed, held down by this past. And instead of being focused on the past, I'm going to press on to what's ahead. And as Paul says here, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in who, church? Come on, y'all, please. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in who? Christ Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It is simply all about Jesus. The humble, homeless servant, Jesus. Surely on Friday, he called his tailor and said, Taylor, I need my Sabbath best. Can you please prepare it and deliver it quickly? I'm in the middle of nowhere. My reception is really bad. People are pressing all around. Sabbath best. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Sabbath best. You just, anything that's all about you and your best, just repent. Why y'all get me so worked up? Verse 15. <laughs> Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Notice what he says there. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything if in any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And what I made a note of here in my Bible is, is if you are really perfect and mature, you will realize that you're not perfect and mature. <laughs> like the, Ellen says it this way, the closer you get to God, the more you will recognize your sinfulness. So I would just raise, raise a flag of caution of any person that's walking around proudful and being able to point out the sins of everybody else. Be very cautious of such people. I get around them and sometimes I'm intimidated wondering, man, do I, am I really far off base? Again, Ellen says the closer you get to God, the more you will recognize your sinfulness. And I can concur with that statement. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, verse 17, this is a pretty heavy statement. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I want to look at two verses, one in this book, Philippians chapter 4, it's on your screen, and then in 1 Timothy. Watch this now. So when he says, imitate me, that's a pretty heavy statement because I don't know that I could stand here right now and tell y'all, please imitate me. So what does he mean? 
What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What I believe that Paul is getting at is, is in the goodness and when you see God in and through Paul, imitate such things. Are you following? Did Paul blow it? Absolutely. But when God is up in him and you see characteristics in Paul that are honoring and, and bringing glory to God, imitate such things. Let's look at 1 Timothy on the next slide here. Thank you. Let, none of you, not, not, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And I've had some emails or people wrote me, talked to me today that, that feel like I'm coming in or, or they're concerned that people are hearing a message that the gospel is free and so they come in and it's cheap grace and you can go on doing whatever in the world you want to do. By no means. Again, if you're going to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your kingdom dies. Your will dies. His kingdom comes. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, when you're coming up into church uh, uh, and, thing, and you're on the journey with God, things are going to change. Your behavior is going to change. Are you going to still blow it? Absolutely. Are you going to still enjoy things in the world? Absolutely. But you also have a desire for more of God and less of self. And I believe what Paul is getting at here is simply this, that when you, when, when you are following the will of God, when you are emulating the character of God, more, more importantly this, let me correct that. When Jesus Christ is abiding in you and he is working his good and perfect will in and through your life, imitate such things. Continuing on here, uh, uh, verse 18. For many of whom, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of what? Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Y'all, I'm just simply preaching to you the word of God tonight and this entire week. And I'm just needing to point out to you that there was trials then in the church and there are trials now. What you want to do with that and, and what you want to argue with me on, on those points, I don't really get. Because what was happening then is happening now. And as I said at the beginning of the week, the letter that Paul wrote from the jail cell in Rome in AD 60, the church in Philippi, the first church he planted, the words that he wrote, the reason why this book is in the Bible is because it will be as relevant for them then as it's as relevant for us now. That's how the Bible works. And so what Paul is saying here is simply this, again... Uh, 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 many have, I've told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So I just simply ask you, as you go and hear, as you learn from other teachers, as you pick up books, are they lifting up Jesus and the gospel of Jesus? Is Jesus the end all, the beginning, the end, the first, the last? Or is there a contrary gospel? Is there other things that are being presented and taught to you that, that are not contrary, or, or sorry, that are contrary to the life and teachings of Jesus? And what Paul is saying here is simply that there are enemies of the cross of Christ and be weary of these people. And he's saying it with tears in his eyes. And truth be told, I'll sit there, uh, I, I, I will sit there and be absolutely heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. When I hear teachers telling audiences not to applaud, 
when I hear teachers lifting up standards and not Jesus Christ, uh, it's a very sad day. It's a very sad day. Even when I go to a church like Elmshaven, where I was two months ago, the church I'm, I'm pastoring now, and I sit there in church, to me, it was an enemy of the cross of Christ. What I experienced there was not uplifting to God, and, and you can say he sounds the most pious, self-righteous jerk I've ever heard. And if that's the case, I don't know that I'm sorry for that. It's just if something doesn't honor and glorify God, and I don't have all the answers for that, but if something is dead and lifeless and the church is just emptying in droves, something is fundamentally wrong. We're closing now very shortly here, just, just about an hour and a half. Watch this now. And again, he just said this, I tell you this with tears in his eyes, verse 19, their end is destruction. And I will tell you, I will make this statement to you and some of you will hate this. I believe that our denomination is going to have absolute hell to pay. And I don't say that happy. I believe that if there's a person in our church that is responsible for casting a, a brother or sister out, that, that you are be, going to be held accountable to that. And the crazy part is, is some people just freaking rejoice in it and it is sick. They absolutely rejoice in it. They rejoice in being divisive. They rejoice in backbiting and slander. They rejoice when, when people leave. And I just, don't, I just don't get it. I do not get it. The end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Divine hour, earthly things. Calling this a sanctuary, that's an earthly thing. And th these are my opinion. Talking about Sabbath best, that's an earthly thing. Focusing on the drum set, that's an earthly thing. And they're more concerned about this world and everything going on in the world and their eyes have been taken off of Christ. So you church, by God's grace, keep your eyes on Jesus. Get to know Jesus, get into the Word of God. The Gospels are here, free for you to read. And I just challenge you to get to know this guy. He will radically transform your life. And watch this now, and here's where we talk about the kingdom of God, and I close. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Verse 20 again, our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this already, but I'll close with this and simply say that when the disciples were standing there before Jesus ascended up in heaven, after 40 days when he was crucified, he was resurrected on the third day, 40 days later, he ascended up into heaven. And when he ascended, the disciples were hanging out, standing just right there with Jesus. The angels came down and a cloud was lifted up and Jesus ascended up in heaven. Were the disciples like, running away from him, don't, don't hit me with the stick. Or were they not like, no, Jesus, don't leave. You're the man. I want to be with you. 
Like I now get it. I'm starting to get this now and I don't want you to leave. Life won't be the same without you. They longed for him. We ought to long for him. Unfortunately, so many of us, all we've heard is religion and rules and regulation and not relationship with Jesus. So I would simply submit to you that Jesus is not one to be feared. He's one to get to know and celebrate. He's your best friend. He's your greatest advocate. He is your hero. He is championing you on. He will so radically change your life that you will be so grateful for all that, uh, all that he is doing in and through you. And I promise you, the more you get to know him, the less you will desire sin. The more you get to know God, the less you will desire world. The closer you get to God, yes, the more you will recognize your sinfulness. But the closer you get to God, I would simply submit the more you want God. And I just ask you to please, I beg of you to please get to know God. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We'll close with a word of prayer. I would have the song come on, but y'all just don't want to celebrate. <laughs> I do. Um, y'all, I deeply love Jesus. I don't have it all together. I don't know everything about him. I don't even understand it all because, again, the Bible says over and over and over again that the gospel is a mystery. For those of you who love mystery books, oh, I just can't wait to read this novel. The gospel is a mystery. The simple fact is, is that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of everything, came to this planet, remained faithful for 33 and a half years to the point of the death on the cross as we've read here in Philippians, rose again and is offering his spirit to abide in you. And you simply just have to receive it. You don't have to. He gives you the freedom of choice. Will you receive it? Are fireworks going to go off in your life? Maybe. Maybe not. Are there going to be times where you're going to say, why have you, you forsaken me? Absolutely. Are you going to have times where you feel far from God? Absolutely. But know this, Jesus wants you in heaven more than you could ever even want to be there. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for this evening. I thank you for these students. I thank you for the faculty. I thank you for the community members. I thank you so much for the book of Philippians and the opportunity we've had today to go through chapter 3 of the book. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you, God, for showing mercy on that man, that, that murderer, showing mercy upon him, pouring grace upon him, filling him with a new knowledge, a new vision, a new understanding of who you are, converting him from being a Pharisee into a follower of the Most High God. Forgive us, we're all, we all succumb to pharisaical beliefs and tendencies. We're human beings. Forgive us of our humanness. Fill us with your godliness. Forgive us of our sinfulness. Fill us with your Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.